0: I love the book of Psalms almost more than any other single book in the Bible. The Psalms teach us how to think, and they teach us how to feel in the various settings that we find ourselves in. They amaze me because they're Holy Spirit-inspired. Jesus, quoting one of the Psalms, said that David said through the Spirit, and then he quotes the psalm. They're inspired of the Holy Spirit, and yet they come from the heart of man, calling out to God in whatever circumstance and whichever situation he found himself in. And I love the Psalms. I pour over them all the time. If I'm feeling down, I turn to the Psalms. If I need reason to praise God, I turn to the Psalms. If I'm looking for wisdom or direction, I turn to the Psalms. They are rich and for the foreseeable future. I really have no end in sight on this, but on Sunday nights, I'm going to bring various lessons from the Psalms. And I'm tag-teaming with Luke. And what we're going to do as we bring some words from the Psalms is we're also going to sing the Psalms. There's a brother named Matthew Basford. I don't know if you've heard that name, but he's he put out a, an arrangement of all 150 psalms set to music that we would be aware of, and so tonight we're going to sing a, an arrangement of the first 10 verses of Psalm 37, and then I'm going to preach about it. Before I do, let me tell you why we're, why we're doing this. I, I told you why we're looking at the psalms. Why are we singing them? I can't think of any Bible verses that might tell us that, We know a verse pretty well. We know a verse or two pretty well. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, both of these instruct us to sing the psalms. And there's a placement there. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Some believe, and I think there's good evidence, that psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms is a categorization of all of the psalms. That's what psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms means. But even if psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms are three categories of songs that Christians sing, the first one that Paul mentioned is the psalms. We know that the early church sang the psalms. This was their songbook. Israel, of course, sung the psalms. This was their songbook. So we think, what better way to worship God than to lift up the Holy Spirit-inspired words of God? And so with that, let's sing Psalm 37, 1 to 10. It's going to be up here on the screen. And then I'll get up and speak for a few minutes about it.
1: All right, this one is going to sound very familiar. It's a song Jesus.
0: awesome? Man, there's something powerful about singing the Psalms. Thank you, Luke. For Luke was on the fly. I just popped into his office and said, hey, do you think we could do this? And he's like, yep, got it. And, and uh, what a blessing to have men that are capable of doing that. You, you wouldn't want me to try to get up to do what he just did, but how, how much more powerful even than just reading the Psalm, singing it in that way? So thank you. And uh, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. If you're not there, and, and I hope next week, to we're going to try uh, some things technologically this week to do what, I, what I'd like to do. But hopefully, beginning next week, I can start pointing some things out to you on the screen <clears throat> that are in uh, my Bible while I'm, while I'm preaching. But until then, open in your Bibles to Psalm 37. And let's, let's look at this. You know, when you look out at this world, how are we doing? Not so good. Not so good. You turn on the television, not so good. The news cycle runs on, it's a perpetual cycle of negativity. There's Bad news here and bad news there. There's a war over here and a war over there. There's this going on with this politician and that going on with the other one. Leadership is in disarray. Culture has redefined, or so they think, redefined marriage. Little precious infants are being taken from their wombs and killed. There's a lot of darkness in this world. And we all know that. In fact, it's not just Christians that know that there are problems in the world. Everybody knows there's problems. This is why no matter which side of the fence you sit on, everyone is trying to say, here's what we need to do. See, we have a problem and here's what we need to do. The thing that I've come to know is that the enemy has no problem with people realizing that there are problems. In fact, the enemy would like for us to know that there are problems forever and to have us argue one side over the other On what we ought to do about it. Perhaps not even argue, but he would have us to react to the problems that exist in this culture in all of the wrong ways, in ways that are truly unhelpful. Here are just a few of how we react when we look out into a dark culture. See, my lesson is titled Building a Kingdom of Light in a Dark Culture. We're to be doing that. We were given marching orders from King Jesus as he went up into heaven and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. It's my, I am the king of kings. And he ascended to the highest place and he said, here's what you're to do. Go disciple the nations. Make whole nations disciples of mine. Build the culture in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, some see the issues that exist and they retreat. See, well, it's bad out there. We'll retreat. It's bad out there. We will come in and we'll build these walls. We'll build a hedge and we'll have nothing to do with the broader world. We'll build a private society. Some will do that. Some see the problems and they simply get really angry. And they fume. And they allow the anger to be pent up inside of them to where you just touch them in the wrong way and they'll explode. And it may come out on a social media thread, or it ultimately ends in violence. We see that, don't we? Some simply become critical of everything. They become experts at seeing the problems. There's a problem here, there's a problem there. I can point that problem out. Oh, that's a problem over here, and you got a problem over here. And they're really good at breaking down the way things are. See, things are bad, and so they're overly critical, but they offer nothing constructive. Psalm 37 amazes me because God doesn't want us to put our heads into the sand. He doesn't want us to pretend that the whole world as it is is butterflies and rainbows, because it isn't. The psalmist is very real about the nature of the world that we live in. If you look into the psalm, and we just sung a bit of it a moment ago, there are evildoers there are schemers. There are those who the psalmist says, don't envy them. Don't, don't envy them because they certainly look to be prospering. They are carrying out. They're, they're not just developing schemes. See, they've got their bow drawn. They have the sword in the hand. And they're not just scheming and being unsuccessful in it. He says they're prospering, it seems, in their way. Their evil devices are being carried out, it seems. Psalmist is very real about that. It's just the way that it is. What does he tell us to do about it? I have six brief instructions. I could have had seven, but uh, we're going to save some for for next week and maybe even the week afterwards. There's a lot more than seven in this psalm, but I want to look at six. I'm just going to blitz through these. I hope that this is just... Practical, boots on the ground. Here's what we do. Here's what we do as a church. This works on an individual level, it works on the church wide corporate level. But here's what we need to do we look out into the world, we see it as it is. And what, what do we do? Well, here's instruction number one fret not. That is the most consistent command through this song. What does it mean to fret? It means you're you're biting your nails, right? And And you're in a state of anxiety, and there's a pit in your stomach, and you're worried, and you're losing sleep. And you look at this politician over here, and you think, man, they're going to make a mess of things. And you look at this situation over here, and you think, man, that's not the way it was when I was a kid. And you look at the war, and... Ukraine or the war over in Israel or the wars in Africa and you look on him and you say, boy, things really are disastrous. Things really are a mess and you lose sleep over it. The first command of the living God as we look out into the world is don't worry. Fret not. That's what he says in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. He says it again in verse 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way He says it again in verse 8: refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. Do not fret. Do not worry. It's, It's amazing to me. The psalmist is saying: there's a guy over here with a sword, and he wants your life. And there's a guy over here with his bow drawn back, and he wants your life. And there are schemers. And he says: don't worry. That's amazing. Don't worry. Why would he say that? Well, he gives a couple reasons. Number one, he says that the evildoer, he will not be around for long. There, and we, we have to keep things in perspective. The we may look, you know, we judge things by our timeline. We judge this has been a year of trials. What do you mean he won't be around for long? Or maybe this is a lifetime of trials. What do you mean? He, he just means he's... the evildoers will not succeed. They will not prevail. One day you will look and they will all have been gone. He says in verse 2, they will soon fade like the grass. See, he says, don't worry because of them, verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 15, their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. What's he saying? The evildoers, they won't prosper. They may be around for a time, and they may cause some damage in the interim, but they won't last. Whoever it is, whatever it is, whether it's a giant organization or a singular entity, whatever it is, they will not be around for long. So don't worry about them. But the bigger reason is God's in control. Verses 12 to 13, it says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But what's the attitude of the Lord when he looks on this? The psalmist says the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. God has that day in his hands. God is in control. So don't worry, whatever it is. In Philippians, Paul says, do not be anxious about some things. Is that what he says? Do not be anxious about anything. Not a single thing in all the world. It doesn't matter what it is. And certainly when there are evildoers, and they are there, and they do exist in the world, we need not fear. God is in control. The schemes of the wicked will not last. Secondly, he says to forsake wrath. Now, this is a hard thing to do. And he doesn't say that when you see evil in the world that it shouldn't produce anger. New Testament says be angry. And don't sin. But the idea of the psalmist here is that there are some who take the anger and they become, they turn so inward with it that they become vindictive and they become hateful and they lash out and they become vigilantes. Essentially, they take it into their own hands. There's a problem here, and I'm going to settle it. I'm going to take care of this issue. And they allow their anger to turn them to things, to turn them to the exact opposite of what will make, ultimately, the difference. So he says in verse 8, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It tends only to evil. What do we do with it, though? I I look out, I see some things, and they make me angry. There are are evildoers in the world. There there, There are plots in the world. There are things that people have done that are evil and bad, and I hate that they're doing them. What am I to do? How do I refrain from anger? Well, the idea here is that God will take care of it. In this psalm, he says, Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. The idea is, there's a problem here. I'm not going to address this issue headlong. I'm not going to pick up my sword to go deal with this issue. I'm going to turn to the Lord and I'm going to wait for the Lord. Because I know that God is just and He will take care of it. Number three, trust God. This is what verse 3 says right at the beginning. Trust in the Lord. Trust in them. I think sometimes we just need to... We look out, we see the issue. We need to take a step back and look at Almighty God. Look at who it is that we're talking about. We're talking about a being who created the world and everything in it in the span of six days. We're talking about a being who, when Israel was backed up against the Red Sea... And an army was behind them. And there were elder, elderly individuals and women and children. And they didn't have weapons. And they're backed up to the sea. And Egypt's here. And they're thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And God just made a path through the sea. We're talking about the God who, with the army of Gideon, He said, look, you've got 32,000 men. That's too many. We need to chop it back a bit. That's too many for me to give the enemy into your hands. And they ended up with what? 300? This is the God we're talking about. And if we're in Jesus Christ, we have him on our side. And he knows us by name. And he sees our circumstances. And he is not apathetic toward them. And he loves us. And he's causing everything to work together for our good. So the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. Yes, there's evil. They won't be there for long. God will be there forever. Trust in the Lord. Cling to him hold on to him. Verses 23 to 24 of the psalm says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he falls, see, sometimes we will fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Trust in the Lord. Number four, do good. That's what it says in verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. I mentioned at the beginning that sometimes, see, we're really good at mirroring the way things are. See, society is, is becoming reclusive. People are turning inward. People turn more to their cell phones. If you're in public, they're going to look at their cell phone. They're not going to look at you. We, become, we, we reciprocate those things. We look on it. We think, well, this is the way that it is. I think everybody's, everybody's drawing in, this is the way that it is, we're going to do the same. But the psalmist says, do good, keep doing good. That strikes me. The, what can we do, truly, what can we do in this world to make it a better place? Look out into the darkness and just keep doing good. Why? Why would I keep doing good when when people are going to mistreat me? Or when they won't appreciate what it is that I'm doing? Maybe they'll even hate me for it. Why would I keep doing it? Well, God's in control. And one day we will inherit the land, it says. But the idea is, keep smiling at people. Keep serving people. Keep giving to people. Keep loving people. Keep showing honor to people. Your boss, say he's a really mean guy. Be respectful to him. Do more for him than he'd do for you. Hold the door open for a stranger. Do good for people. Keep showing honor. In fact, outdo one another in showing honor. Give honor to whom honor is due, and that doesn't mean only the honorable. Give honor. Keep contributing to the needs of the saints. Keep praying. The world is dark. Keep going to God and keep praying. See, this is doing good. Keep showing hospitality. Open your home and bring people in. Prepare a meal and give it to somebody. Keep doing good. Keep blessing people, even evil people. This is how we build a kingdom of light in a dark culture. We look out and we say, I'll be unfazed by this. Yes, there's darkness, but Jesus is the light of my life. And that source of light can't be blown out. No wind is going to put out that light. Nothing can do that. Keep doing good. See, we are the hopeful people. At the end of this life, we know where we're going. We know what is ahead of us. We are the hopeful people. And so what we do is we just keep doing good. Number five, this is, I I, I just hope this is just as simple as it can possibly be. These are just bullet point. That's how the psalmist does it. What's he say? Number five, dwell in the land. That's interesting to me. He doesn't say build a compound and flee from society. What does he say to do? See, there's a guy with a sword and a guy with a bow and schemers over here, and what should I do? Dwell in the land. Why? How will I make an impact on a dark culture? Not by leaving it. Dwell in the land. That's what he says. He says, keep living in it, and why is it? Because this land is God's land. See, this, sometimes you know, we, we sing, it's funny, we, we sometimes sing, this is my father's world, and then sometimes we sing... This world is not my home. And I saw a meme the other day. It said we sang these back to back and, and everyone is now confused. This, this world is, uh, this is my father's world and this world is not my home. And You know what? Does the devil have a degree of power and influence and sway? Yes, he does. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is God's green earth. It belongs to him. And there is one who is reigning over all of it. Every other entity that reigns is is a vassal in comparison. Everyone is under him. Everyone is subject to him. This is his land. And therefore, it's our land. It's our land to bring the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So in verses 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34, he says, if you'll keep doing this, you will inherit the land. I believe that we can turn things around. I do not believe that the powers of darkness have have any power over the light of Jesus' kingdom. Do we have work to do? Yes, indeed. But the one in us is far greater than the one in the world. The only thing the enemy can get us to do is to think that he's more powerful than he really is. So go out into the world, live in the world, do good in the world, and do not fret. And then lastly, he says in verse 3 to befriend faithfulness. I love that imagery. You have a best friend? Who's your friend? He says, make it faithfulness. Make it, make, so here I am. And there's, say faithfulness is all the way over here. This is keeping covenant with the Lord my God. This is being honest. This is following the laws of the living God. This is striving to live in covenantal relationship with Jesus. This is keeping a good integrity with this word and not departing from it. He says, befriend faithfulness. When evildoers are prospering and culture is decaying and the powers of darkness are the majority, at least by way of numbers, I think that the great temptation, that sometimes we think, well, the way that we really make inroads is by making slight accommodations. See, the culture has gone this far over here, make a slight accommodation. If we can just accommodate a little bit, then maybe they'll come our way a little bit. I've heard the illustration, you know, we, we like to keep an arm's length from the world. And we think, see, I'm not the world. I, I keep my distance. But as the world continues to, de- to degrade, and I'm keeping an arm's length from the world, soon enough, I may be an arm's length from the world, but where was I by comparison to faithfulness in the living God? He says, yes, there's darkness. Befriend faithfulness. I will be faithful to you, my God. I will be faithful to your word. I won't depart from it. It will be my best friend. How do I befriend it? The way that I'd befriend anybody. I draw near to it. I ask it questions. I say, what is faithfulness? God, what would it be to be faithful? I want to be that. Draw near to faithfulness, whatever that is. Faithfulness to the living God. Faithfulness to your spouse. Faithfulness to your word. Befriend faithfulness. And when we do that, we will inherit the land. And I do believe that this world can be won for Jesus the Christ. If you have any need, if you need to study with the elders or study with one of the ministers, or if you need prayers, or if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity to let that be known while we stand and sing.